invite you to join me in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Someone asked me yesterday, are we going to finish the book of Philippians today? <laughs> no. <laughs> but we are getting closer. Our series is winding down, but we aren't finished yet. Our theme has been to have the mind of Christ. And so we've worked on a theme passage together, so go ahead and put that on the screen. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 has been a passage that we've been working towards committing to memory, and last time I tried to do it from memory, I messed up. I blame you guys because being in front of people just makes you lose your mind sometimes. That was confessing too much, I realize. That's okay, let's say it together. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Oh, that we would get the point of the book of Philippians, that we would have and demonstrate the mind of Christ, that we would think the way Christ thinks and thus act the way he would act. To have the mind of Christ, we must first know who Jesus is. Jesus is the exalted one proclaimed and prophesied throughout the Old Testament as the one sent from God who we know now is revealed in the New Testament. He came becoming fully human while remaining fully God. That is an incredible truth to grasp and is part of knowing the mind of Christ. If we don't know who Jesus is, his character, his likeness, we can't act like him. The mind of Christ, as taught in the book of Philippians, shows us that he was humble. In fact, we just quoted that or read it, that he did not cling to his uh, rights and rank that were genuinely his, that of being God with God the Father. He didn't hang on to that position of remaining in heaven with God the Father, but he emptied himself, as the passage says. He became a servant. He lived and died on earth. Why? So we could have the experience and say, so no, he did it for us, to serve us. He was sacrificial and selfless, withholding nothing. He was obedient. He obeyed the Father. As the Father planned and commanded Jesus to, to live on earth and to die for us, to be raised again, Jesus fulfilled all that was commanded of him. Last week, as we were in Philippians chapter 4, we looked at the generosity of God's people as the Philippians had been generous to Paul. We also cross-referenced how Paul had been generous to the Philippians. Today, our passage is one verse and not even a very long one. Let's read it together. Philippians 4, 19. 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So this week, God is the one generous with us. Last week, the Philippians were generous with Paul. Paul was generous with the Philippians. Here we see God is generous with us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we need to understand our role and your economy. How you have designed us to live for you and you will in turn provide for what we need. Oftentimes we rely on our own strength. We rely on, on what we believe to be our own resources. Lord, I pray that you would use this, this one verse, this one sermon, to help us to rely more on you, for you are the one who provides for our every need. So Father, I ask that you would overshadow my mind, that you would help me to speak exactly the words that you want me to say, that you would help us to hear from your word and to live it. In his name we pray, amen. Our big idea this morning that we're going to expand as we uh, break down and, and, and inflate this, this lone verse, our big idea is this, God wants us to be satisfied by the supplier of our need. He wants us to be satisfied. Earlier in the passage in John, John, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. In, earlier in the passage in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, I have learned how to be content in every situation, whether I have an abundance or whether I am need, whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry. Paul says, I am content. And that, that um, theme of contentment uh, continues to spread throughout chapter 4, and that's where we are today. Uh, God is the one supplying the needs, therefore we need to be content or satisfied by the supplier of our needs. Oftentimes, we think of what God has given us, what he has uh, endowed us with, rather than thinking of the God who gave us these things. So I, I trust that that will expand and make more sense as we go through it. First of all, in chapter 4, verse 19, we see the author of our satisfaction. And my God will supply. We should actually start at the beginning of the verse with just the one word. It is a very good place to start, isn't it? The very first word of verse 19 is a conjunction, meaning it is grammatically connected to the previous thought. The general theme all the way back to verse 10 so from verse 10 through 18, has all been about the Philippian church sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. They sacrificed for Paul personally. They sacrificed for the churches that Paul was planting or had planting but still had need. The, the church in Philippi was, was generous. They didn't necessarily have a lot. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. Their generosity was not because it was a large amount. Their generosity uh, was... Uh, their, their gift was generous because it was a sacrifice. They sacrificed for Paul. They sacrificed for the churches. The cultural convention or the cultural norm in that day, in that era, uh, was actually very similar to what it is today, that if you receive a gift, it is commonplace to also give a gift. 
And Paul recognized that he was unable to give back to them. We talked about this a bit last week. Uh, But he confidently proclaimed to the Philippians that God himself would give back to them. That that just as they had taken care of his needs, God would take care of their needs. The context of this promise is very important. I've spoken about this before because it was taught to me when I was younger. It was taught to me in Bible college that there are three solid rules to biblical biblical interpretation that you cannot miss, and that is, class, consider the context, consider the context, consider the context, right? We can't just rip the verse out and just enjoy it by itself. We have to understand what the author intended to communicate. The context of this promise that God will supply our needs is very important. Paul spoke to those who actively were supporting the work of the Lord. He's telling the Philippians, you have supported God's work and now God is going to supply your needs. God meets the needs of those who give to him in the context of ministering or being ministered to. So that little conjunction, whether in your English translation, whether it's an and or a but or even a yet, they're all conjunctions that point to the fact that this is related to how the Philippians had provided for Paul in the past because they have supported the work of God and God is going to supply their need as well. We often use the word and as kind of a throwaway word to start a sentence. Paul was never so careless. This little word and is very important. So here's the flow of the letter, the the letter to the Philippians in chapter 4 from 10 on to where we are today. Paul rejoices in the ongoing concern that the church has for them. Even though they haven't always been able to help him the way they would like, he rejoices in the way that they desire to help him. And he continues to make clear that he is not complaining. He's not bringing this up because, oh, and by the way, I need you to put a check in the mail. No, he's saying, God is, God is taking care of me. I want to thank you for the way that you have already taken care of me as well. All this leads us to verse 19. Just as you have served God by being generous to me, Paul says, just as you have served God by being generous to me, God will in turn be generous to you. And my God will supply. Our supply comes from God. Whatever stuff you have, whatever strengths you have, whatever skills you have, whatever resources that you are stewarding, it's all from God. God. And woe to us should we ever, ex- should we ever think or, or even imply that we did that ourselves. Paul was supplied in full by God. He makes that clear. God has given me everything I need. He says he's supplied in full by God. And then he also told us in previous verses how he got it. He got it through the sacrifice of the Philippians. So God supplies our needs Sometimes through other people. And God will supply your need when, you're, when you are prioritizing God's purposes. God is the author of our satisfaction. As the verse continues, we see the extent of our satisfaction. And my God will supply every need 
of yours. Every. What does that leave out? But if I spend these hours for the Lord, I won't have these hours to work, and so I'll make less money, and I won't be able to provide for my family. This would be an argument that one might make. Or, or, or if I give this money to the church, or if I give money to uh, our Christian camp, or if I support missionaries financially out of my own pockets, then I won't have enough money to make ends meet. There's an argument we might make. And mathematically speaking, this makes sense, right? There are only so many hours that we have to do anything in a given week, and the more we commit to the Lord, the less we have to earn a living, right? And the more money that we give to one good and godly cause is less money that we have uh, to pay the bills. Mathematically speaking, these arguments make sense, and yet... The scripture tells us that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. That doesn't mean we throw mathematics out the window. That doesn't mean we throw budgeting out the window. But what it does mean is that when we sacrifice for God's purposes at the prompting of God the Spirit, God takes care of us every time, every need. Now take that whole statement when we sacrifice for God's purposes at the prompting of God the Spirit, He's going to provide everything we need. A while back, there was a man who had struggled financially but had managed to tuck away $500. And isn't that the first step to reducing financial stress? Is to set aside some money for an emergency fund. Isn't that what they tell us? It's true, by the way. You should have an emergency fund. He heard of someone who had spent some months serving the Lord in an unpaid position and was prompted by the Spirit to give to this other man's need, to be a blessing to that individual. So he took his entire savings, all $500 of it, stuffed it in an envelope and anonymously sent it to that worker. That's risky, isn't it? To have your savings account empty, knowing that if your car breaks down this week and you don't get paid till next week, that that's a long week. He gave away his entire savings. He had no retirement fund, no other savings. That was it. It was gone. He'd given it away. Months he had saved to get this $500. Yet within two weeks, he had six hundred dollars in his savings account i don't know if you caught that but 600 is more than 500 this didn't come in one lump it came as an unexpected check from a relative an extra bump in income from side hustles various ways but god restored him in very short order am i telling you to go empty your life savings and give it to a ministry no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if the Spirit is prompting you to sacrifice, you should do it. I'm saying that there is a theme in Scripture that if you live generously for the Lord, the Lord will take care of your needs. A classic example from Luke 21. 
even more extreme than the illustration I gave you is Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, when I take us to other passages of Scripture, um, you know, I'm not trying to preach another message, and so I will pick just specific verses that, that are helping to carry the point and, and keeping it in context, not trying to rip stuff out of context. But if you go to Luke chapter 21, you'll see that I read the entire account. The passage of Scripture doesn't go on further and say how the Lord restored this widow, how the Lord took care of this widow. The Bible doesn't tell us how this poor widow survived. She put in all of her money. But no doubt God supplied all her need. When you trust God for your needs and you are generous to His purposes, He will supply every need you have. Do you believe that? Knowing something to be true isn't quite the same as believing something to true, be true. And knowing and believing, well, we're not really believing if we're not doing. Right? Because if we really believe it, we'll do it. Paul lived this out. He had given up everything for the cause of Christ. Do you remember that? That was uh, in chapter 3. I wasn't planning to read it, but I'm going to. I can do that. In chapter 3, he starts out by talking about how he has all sorts of reason to be confident. Verse, beginning in verse 4, Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? And you remember we listed off how he, is, he was a, a Hebrew. He was circumcised the eighth day. So he, his parents were a religious couple who made sure that they followed the law to the letter of the law. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee, meaning he knew the Bible inside out and backwards. He, had, he could quote to you all of the writings of Moses. I'm sorry, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are not easy books to memorize. And he could quote all of it. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And yet, verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, whatever advantage I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul lived it, giving up everything. Because when you're in a religious institution like that, when you're in a religious family, a religious uh, hierarchy that the Jewish people had at that time, and you turn around and serve Christ, you're rejected. He lost all of his status, all of his standing. Paul gave up everything for the cause of Christ, yet God supplied him with everything he needed. And God used the Philippians 
as part of that supply. So Paul gives a promise of God that their generosity would be reciprocated by the generosity of God. Every need. My God will supply your every need. It's true, we often have a difficult time understanding the difference between a need and a want. If you wonder what I mean, just imagine if you had to move across the country in the next week or so. Moving across the country is different than moving across town, by the way. Because when you have to pack it all into a truck all at once, you're going to be a little more picky about what gets packed and what, has, what gets to stay behind. What you either throw away or sell or give away. What is occupying space in your life that if you had to move, you'd rather get rid of it than take it with us? It's probably quite a bit. So much of it, we felt like it was a need when we acquired it. And now we're like, uh, I guess I really didn't need that. God is not promising to provide for our every comfort or desire or luxury. He's promising to provide for our every need. When we are faithful to be generous to his cause, he will make sure that we have what we need. He does often give more, okay? Way more. But he will certainly give us what we need. He is the author of our satisfaction. The extent of our satisfaction is that he'll provide our every need. And from where is he tapping this supply? So he is the supply of our satisfaction. It says, according to his riches in glory. I don't know what it's like to have an eternal supply of anything. God does. Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11 say this. Psalm 50, 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. The psalmist very poetically is making the point that God owns everything. His savings account is like this. It's just everything. God is not the one who needs anything from us. And if you were to read the rest of Psalm 50, he actually says that if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. If I had a need, I wouldn't tell you. Why? Because I have everything already. That's our God. He has an endless supply and he is generous with it. The psalmist that I just read from Psalm 50 noted God's ownership on earth, but Paul goes farther than that, doesn't he? Do you read what he said in verse 19? He says, according to his riches, not on a thousand hills, according to his riches in glory. God's reservoir from which to draw to fulfill our needs is not even limited to this earth. His supply is genuinely beyond our understanding. When one of my children has an activity and asks me for 20 bucks, First of all, I send them to their mother because she's the one who's going to have the cash. But if we give them $20, that's $20 less we have to give to another child or to use to another purpose, right? We have a limited supply. I could say the same thing about every meal. If one person were to take a dinner roll off the plate and pass it around the table, that's one less dinner roll for someone else to eat. It's a limited supply. But when God provides you with something, 
there is no less for him to supply someone else with something because his supply is eternal. We can praise him for that. And the verse ends with our entrance into this satisfaction. Our entrance to this type of satisfaction is through Christ Jesus. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why is it that God provides for our needs? The context was, again, the Philippians had been generous to the work of God, and and Paul says, God is going to supply your need. Does God provide for us in order to repay us for being sacrificial? in giving of our treasure or our time or our talents? Is God repaying us because he has somehow incurred a debt by the fact that we have been generous? By the way, the answer is no. Okay, so what is going on here? God provides for our needs, not because of what we've done, but because of who we are. And who we are as a believer in Jesus Christ is we are united with Jesus. We are one with Jesus. When God looks at a believing child, you, if you're a believer, if God looks at you, what he sees is no longer your sin and your history and your actions, your activity. He sees his son. Because the scripture tells us that we are united with Jesus. Here's just a couple verses to, uh, to show that. Colossians, excuse me, Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. In God, what God sees when he sees you, yes, he knows who you are personally. We're, t- we're talking about uh, kind of a status thing. When he looks at you, he doesn't see you as the sinner that you are, the sinner that I am. He sees me as covered in the blood of Jesus. He sees me as his own son. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's Paul's way of saying, I am no longer myself. I do what Jesus wants me to do. He lives in me. What God sees when he sees me is he sees his son. Scripture, and there, there are plenty of other scriptures and other illustrations in the New Testament that talk about our unity with Jesus Christ. But there's also a unity between God the Father and Jesus, God the Son. They have a relationship so close that the scripture actually calls them one. Jesus, speaking in John chapter 10, verse 30, says, I and my Father are one. In fact, he says that multiple times in the Gospel of John, and depending on who his audience is, if it's just his disciples, then that's a teaching moment. But when it's uh, other religious leaders that are there, what was their response when Jesus said, I and the Father are one? Their response was, they wanted to kill him. Why? 
Well, because scripturally, to equate yourself with the Father as he did, that would be blasphemy. The only problem with that is because it's Jesus, it was true. It was not blasphemy. He says, I and the Father are one. That's John 10, 30. John 14, verse 10. Jesus speaking, and do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Do you see those, those words of unification? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So since the Father, God the Father, has such a relationship with Jesus, his Son, and we have a unified relationship with the Son, then God's desire to be generous to us is a direct correlation of his love for Jesus. Did you catch all that? His love for us, his generosity to us, his provision for us is because we're found in Christ. It's a very different thing for a father to give something to his own child than to have someone else's child demand the same thing be given to him, right? See, at salvation, God adopts us. He calls us his own, and he desires to be generous to us because of what Jesus has done. God wants us to be satisfied by him, by the supplier of our needs, not by the stuff that he gives us, when we focus on stuff, we will then seek possessions as a form of self-sufficiency. Look what I did. And in doing so, pride becomes evident. Look what I've provided for myself. But when we focus on the supplier of all the stuff, yes, I went to the store and I purchased this item, but who gave me the money? Well, okay, I, I work for the church and the church pays me a salary, that gave me the money, but who gave me the, oper- the, the capacity to do this job? Is, I mean, the farther back you go, it's always God, it's all God, it's all God, right? The same is true for you. Whatever it is that you have as possessions or as character or as abilities, it's all a gift from God. So when we focus on the supplier, rather than becoming proud, we become grateful, right? We become humble, having the mind of Christ. Rather than being dependent on our own limited strength, we rely on his unfailing, eternal provision. His unfailing, eternal provision. Is there anything in this world that is unfailing? God is. His word is. When God is the author of your satisfaction, you can lose your health and still be satisfied. When God is the author of your satisfaction, you can lose your job And be satisfied. You can have relationships fall apart and remain content in Him. Here's the requirement the requirement is that you have to actually be in Him. 
You have to entrust your soul to him for eternal salvation. Knowing about Jesus is not sufficient. I mean, you have to know about him, but knowing about him is not enough. You have to actually know Jesus to be united with him by the blood spilt on the cross. As God has spared nothing for your eternal salvation, how can we not trust him for our everyday life? That may have been a confusing way to put it. I apologize for that. Since God has done everything that needed to be done for our eternal salvation, and we trust him for that, how can we not trust him for our day-to-day needs? If he can provide the big thing, eternal life, can he not provide for these little earthly things that we need? Jesus died for you. When you believe and receive salvation, you are then capable of trusting him for your needs. And here's what's going to happen. He's not going to let you down. So be generous with your time and talents. Be generous with what you have for gospel purposes. And God will supply your every need. So how do you know if you are trusting God for your needs and not trusting your own resources? How can you evaluate that? Well, we have to evaluate that. We have to look at ourselves and ask, how often am I talking to God about my needs? How often am I thanking God for my provision? And more to the point of the text, what is it that that you must go without because we are being generous with God? Because the Philippians didn't just give Paul and these churches a a grand sum. In fact, it wasn't a grand sum. What they gave him and them was a sacrifice. A sacrifice means that there's something that you're doing without in order to give it. It's not a sacrifice if what we give is something we don't miss. It's not a sacrifice if there's no change in our lifestyle or spending habits, if we're talking finances, if there's no change in lifestyle or spending habits by giving to the work of God. What are you going without in order to be generous with God? Evaluate your spending for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Evaluate your calendar. The scripture doesn't say Where your time is there, your heart is also. But the same principle applies, does it not? Where we're spending our time, where we're spending our efforts. Thank you so much for those of you who do sacrifice for the Lord. Thank you for those who are genuinely generous for the ministry. Whether we're talking about ministry of this church or our missionaries or or other uh, different like-minded ways that that God might prompt us to give. Thank you for those of, us, those of you who participate actively in, in various ministries. Keep prioritizing the Lord's work. When you do so, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for this great promise that when we genuinely give something up of ourselves for you that you 
will make it right with us. You will supply, you will give us generously what we need. Father, this verse is a call to, to us to live by faith. Because it's only if we genuinely trust that you will fulfill this promise that we can take that risk to give of our time, to give of our efforts, to give of our finances. It's a leap of faith for us to step out and say, okay, I'm going to do this as the Spirit has led me to, to give to the Lord, as it were, and I can trust that whatever I go without, I either didn't need or God will supply a replacement of. Lord, help us to have that mindset. A mindset that genuinely believes that I can't outgive God, but that He will supply my every need as I obey Him, living for Him. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we might live out these truths in these days, weeks, and months that lie ahead. In Jesus' name I pray.